Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Andrew Howard. Andrew Howard, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to uh, nice to be on here. I'm uh, really looking forward to this because I think, you know, it looks like you and I are, are really aligned as far as our worldview and, you know, you're still kind of getting into Bitcoin here. So looking forward to it. If yeah. you're looking forward to this, Andrew, you've been misinformed. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. You're stuff. an interesting guy on Twitter. <laughs> Tim, Tim definitely is. But this is about you. So Andrew Howard, tell us a bit about yourself and what you do and your philosophy. Sure. So uh, I do do a few things. My main main activity uh, for work is a chief business development officer at a company called Bitcoin Reserve. So if you think of the words Federal Reserve and then replace that with Bitcoin, that's us. Um, so so yeah, you're a private banking cartel controlling Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, well, that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is there's no, you know, centralized party or group of people that can just control the entire thing for everybody else using it. So I mean, I'm, um, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course, but the, the reason the reason I am is because I suspect 99.9 recurring percent of people on this planet have no idea what the composition of the Federal Reserve actually is. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, people don't even realize why they carry, they don't even carry paper money in the first place, but people don't realize why money is paper. It's paper because the original purpose of that piece of paper was, you know, a note to go to the bank to redeem it for gold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And 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 then there's been many different, oh, I'm sorry. And there's been many different forms of money, but let, we can get onto that a bit later. Let, let's talk about you. So just t- you were just talking about yourself and, and, and what you'd set up. So let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mentioned that Bitcoin reserve, we basically just help people buy and sell Bitcoin and only Bitcoin. No, you know, altcoins. they're like 16,000 altcoins. Um, we're not interested in that. We think Bitcoin is, you know, the only one to be taken seriously out of this whole ecosystem. So there's that. Um, it's, I, it's the defi- sorry to interrupt, Andrew. It's the definition sure. of an altcoin si- simply an alternative to Bitcoin in cryptocurrency land? Yes, that is correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and we can get into that more because that's, you know, that's something that I think distracts a lot of people. But uh, so, yeah, you know, I just I write articles on the subject. I go to conferences. I was recently in El Salvador back in November. Um, my biggest priority in life is freedom. And, uh, you know, that's that's where my main interest is. And and I, I like I like Bitcoin because it helps us. I, I believe it helps us get closer to a more free and prosperous world. Um so yeah, aside from that, kind of living the expat life a little bit here in Mexico. I'm originally from uh, Los Angeles in the United States. And uh, so yeah, living in Mexico. And uh, I think a final thing to add is um, I first got interested in Bitcoin when I was actually, uh, quote, serving in the United States military, um, which is kind of a peculiar 
dynamic there because Bitcoin can often be seen as antithetical to the military for many reasons. So, um, okay. When, when, yeah, so how that's long ago was that? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps from 2015 to 2018, so uh, like about four years ago now. And and what what about that made you get into Bitcoin? Yeah, so I mean, the Marine Corps didn't make me get into Bitcoin, but the the dynamic is one of interest because you know if you think about it, the only way governments can obtain wealth is through two methods, right? So the first one is taxation and the second is inflation. Um, Both of which are theft. <laughs> yes, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm happy you said that because that's an absolute fact. I mean, both are theft. One is more direct theft. The other is more sneaky, right? Because, you know, like, let's say you're a government and you want to have, you want to go to war. Uh, my government certainly loves going to wars, the U.S. government, you know, to tax. So let's take the Iraq war, for example, the Iraq war, the total cost of the Iraq war, including all the benefits and all the, you know, other expenditures, uh, was about $6 trillion. And if you were to go to the American public and say, okay, uh, we're going to pay for this war. It's going to last like 20 years. And uh, it's not going to be productive in any way, and it's only going to do more harm. And we're going to take six trillion dollars from you guys. The citizens would not be very happy with that situation. So as a result, you know, the path of least resistance for the U.S. government, for example, to just print the money, right, literally out of thin air, and pay for bombs and tanks and everything they need for a war. And then years and years down the road, Americans actually start seeing that because inflation is going up. So I look at this like it's a very – I mean we both agree it's a very immoral system. Um, it literally is a system which you know, if we get off of this central banking cartel criminal system, I firmly believe it is a, a matter of life and death getting off of it. You know. Um, it's very real, real world impacts, you know, like yeah. I mentioned war that happened from central banking. So, so, so you said that the, it was being in the military that, that piqued your interest, started your interest or got, made you think more about Bitcoin, but we get the military spending and the money aspect. Was it, was that the link or was there something else? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, uh, the creature from Jekyll Island by any chance. I've the foundation of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I was I was in the Marine Corps and I read that, uh, and that totally just changed my entire world view. You know, growing up as an American, super patriotic, and uh, seeing all these movies, thinking I'm like thinking I'm one of the good guys, and then I realized like, oh my gosh, the only way all of these wars are going to be paid for is through uh, a fraudulent monetary system and just being in uniform at the time uh, and realizing that was a very difficult thing. And, um, and then I found out about Bitcoin and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing because this is literally like if you could just design a perfect form of money that the government can't get its hands on, it, that would be Bitcoin. Um, do you think, would you, would you say that, would you agree that um, obviously it's sort of trying to, 
jam words into your mouth and down your throat. But would, would, would you agree that the 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 strange and mysterious history of the Federal Reserve and the fact that very few people seem to know even what, what it's about and where it came from is one of the best kept secrets in the world? This this in plain sight, but nobody knows about it. Yeah, and I know. I, I 100% think so, because it's just insane the way the Federal Reserve was created. I mean, it was literally like, what, six guys, right? Six of, I believe they had about 30% of the world's wealth at the time, right, combined with those six guys. Uh, it was like a senator, um, uh, one guy from JP Morgan, uh, one guy representing the Rothschild family in Europe, you know, these elite bankers, and they all, uh, go to, you know, this Island off the coast of Georgia, Jekyll Island, and they took separate, uh, train cars when they were traveling there. So that way, you know, if everybody saw them in the same area, the media would start asking questions. So they took separate train cars so nobody would notice that they're together. And they even used, some of them used fake names when they I, were I traveling. I can't believe that some of them even went to disguise. I can't remember if that was part of the ruse or not, but it, it, you, can, you can see these guys putting on fake beards and stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fake beards. They told everybody they were hunting um, duck, and hunting, then, duck hunting. Yeah, they told people they were duck hunting. And then I guess 20 years later, a family member of one of the guys that went said like, yeah, he's never shot a gun in his life. <laughs> so so anyways, they go there and they they strategize, OK, how are we going to get America on a central bank? Because the central bank had already been tried twice in the United States and it, it had been ultimately rejected. And they said, OK, well, you know what? We're going to be really clever here and we're going to come up with the name Federal Reserve. And the name Federal Reserve is an absolute lie because it's not a federal entity and they have no reserves. <laughs> so so it's an absolute scam. And they passed the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, two days before Christmas. <laughs> December 23rd, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was passed. You know, I don't know what you're doing two days before Christmas, but I, I don't think – a lot of people are, are reviewing bills about the Federal Reserve, you know, two days before Christmas. So, um, yeah, it, it's just a whole fraudulent scam. It's an immoral monetary system. It harms a lot of people. And from an investment perspective, I think to ignore all of the things that we just talked about is really doing a disservice to to people. So I respect you guys for, you know, looking into this stuff and and seeing – how you know the money actually works? It's so important. So, the appearance of Bitcoin on the scene has made many people think about what money actually is, and there's some big arguments going backwards and forwards about whether it's a good thing, whether it's a bad thing. Um, there's Ethereum, which is a superior technology, and then there's obviously the altcoins, which we can get onto in a moment. But why is it that you think that it's just the the Bitcoin can fill this gap of, of being decentralized and a replacement for the monetary system as opposed to any, any of the other technologies. Because if we are to have any system that works as well as money and allows us to transact, you have to have a certain number of transactions per second for people to actually you know do business. And sure. the Bitcoin, um, the blockchain is too slow and the technology is not good enough. So either you need to do something off-chain and then bring it back on-chain, which, which is a secondary solution, or you need to come right. up with a new solution. So 
why do you feel that it's just Bitcoin that that can that can be the fill its shoes and and nothing else can? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are a few different answers. Um, okay, the the first one I want to address is just the scalability issue, right? Um, and I know that's kind of not as related to the exact question, which is why Bitcoin only, but I think it's an important, you know, starting ground for us. So yeah, for anybody listening that isn't aware, Bitcoin has um, uh, a small amount of transactions per second that it can handle compared to like PayPal. I believe PayPal, PayPal can handle uh, how many, tra- 4,000 transactions a second? Uh, 5,000, something like that. Bitcoin can only handle about seven. Um, but that, that being pres- that, Sorry, that can presumably yeah. improve over time though, can't it? Uh, not at the base layer. And that's actually a, a benefit and not a bug. And um, we can get into that. So uh, if you... have, Are you familiar with the Lightning Network? Yeah. Okay, got it. Um there was something called the block wars in 2017. This is around when this happened. And it was about exactly this issue. It was, you know, Bitcoin became so popular and a bunch of people were using it that the network became congested. And as a result, it was very expensive to send a Bitcoin transaction. And Bitcoin transactions also can take a while to confirm. Um, so that was kind of the main argument against Bitcoin. And other altcoins wanted to do what's called increasing the block size. So pretty much what that is, is just increasing the amount of space that you can fit in the Bitcoin blockchain in order to to add more transactions in there, to just have more space for more transactions. Um, Many other coins did this. Um, Some of the most notable are Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. Um, And they essentially just, you know, uh, decided to, you know, fork off of Bitcoin, raise the block size, so that way you could have a bunch of transactions per second, and that's on the the base layer of Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin, uh, you know, the main underlying blockchain. And I, I mean, what happened since then is nobody's using these coins, right? Because Bitcoin has the most dominant network effect, and that is a huge factor in technology and money that people need to consider as network effect. Um, so nobody's using these coins and, uh, it's not a good way to scale Bitcoin to be able to handle everybody transacting it. And the reason why is because if you are raising the amount of, of, uh, size in the Bitcoin blockchain that each block can handle for transactions, you're making it less decentralized. You're actually centralizing the network. And, you know, without getting too technical, the reason you're centralizing the network is it makes it a lot more difficult to do uh, what's called running a node. Okay. And what running a node is, uh, is essentially auditing the Bitcoin supply, enforcing the rules of the network, um, verifying transactions, and nodes are very integral to to Bitcoin's health. Um in order to destroy Bitcoin, you would effectively have to go around all over the world and destroy tens of thousands of nodes. And estimates are anywhere between 16,000 and 100,000 nodes, which exist, decentralized all over Earth. Um, and other coins 
you know, it's not easy for people to run nodes with with Bitcoin. You can spend 200 bucks on a small little server um, and download the entire blockchain in a day. Right. Because there's uh, such a small amount of space because the block size has not been raised and you can run a node with Ethereum. If you want to run a, a node, uh, it's near impossible if if you don't have like $80,000, literally. I mean, there are many articles written about how difficult it is to run an Ethereum node. And so let's take Ethereum, for example, right? Everybody says Ethereum is so decentralized. You always hear that buzzword decentralized. Ethereum is not a decentralized platform. They are, they are a centralized platform. AWS um, and other cloud servers are the ones running nodes. So effectively what you have is a situation where centralized corporations can, you know, since they are running the majority of the nodes in the Ethereum network, they can take it down if they want. And this is not the case with Bitcoin. So that's a huge factor. Bitcoin is really the only truly decentralized, uh, quote, cryptocurrency and that is a very crucial thing to have as a you know cryptocurrency because these are are you know, serious competitors to to what the government wants, which is fiat currency. Just so, a, just a quick quick um, um, intervention from someone who is the confirmed luddite in this in this threesome. Does uh, what I'm what I'm interpreting or assuming from what you're saying? Am I right in inferring that? Bitcoin should not be necessarily be used for large value transaction. Sorry, should not be used for small value transactions because it, it, the nature of the network as as it is doesn't lead itself to that. So people might perhaps be best served by using a combination of Bitcoin and there I even say cash or have I just got the wrong end of the stick? Um. So no, because... Uh, so the idea is that everybody's going to be using Bitcoin, right? We're going to be using. I mean, what was the was the intent? I mean, uh, this still the the identity of the, the 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 origin of Bitcoin is 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 still shrouded in mystery. But sure. do you think the intention, or, or could it possibly be in the in the destiny of Bitcoin to replace the money monetary system as we we currently understand it? Absolutely. Um, I will I will give you an example. Uh, just for day-to-day -day use of Bitcoin. So when I was in El Salvador in November, um, you know, you, I bought I bought Ubers with Bitcoin. I paid for my Airbnb with Bitcoin. I bought tacos with Bitcoin. Um, and, now, and, was, and El Salvador's worth worth specifying. What what about El Salvador? Have they have they they've basically opened the they've sort of lifted the kimono or whatever, opened the kimono to Bitcoin more than any other country, haven't they? Yeah, they literally made it legal tender. I mean, yeah. legal tender in El Salvador is the United States dollar and Bitcoin. It's official, signed into law. It's a really big deal there. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I see where this is going and I, I don't think this is going to stop at just El Salvador. But uh, the, the, the point being, you know, when I was there, I was able to use Bitcoin for a lot of things over the Lightning Network. And if you think about so let's let's compare, you know, Bitcoin with the Internet. OK, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with TCP IP, but uh, that is essentially like the base layer of the Internet. Yeah. And there were many layers built on top of TCP IP. 
Bitcoin is the, uh, I believe it was the creator of Gmail, actually, Paul McNeil, that said uh, Bitcoin is the TCP IP of money. So, yeah, at the base layer, it's it's going to be not feasible to buy a coffee with Bitcoin. But there are layers. Being but you, you wouldn't you wouldn't use gold to buy coffee either. <laughs> well, that's that's true. The problem with gold is you would have to use a paper note to buy coffee. Right. Yeah. And the result of that is a paper note means somebody else is holding your gold. And so with Bitcoin, or you'd have to have you're holding your Bitcoin. Or you'd have to have a few flakes of the physical. Yeah, maybe like a really small coin or something like that. But the divisibility is, is definitely an issue with gold, mm. for sure. So for the people yeah. that haven't heard of the Lightning Network, do you want to give an, a brief explanation of, of how that helps Bitcoin work in a world where it can only do seven transactions per second? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, in 2017, around that time, you had the block wars, uh, all these other cryptocurrencies saying they're faster than Bitcoin, they're cheaper than Bitcoin. Um, and uh, what was what has been developed since then is what's called the Lightning Network. And essentially what that is, is a second layer network built on top of Bitcoin. Okay, so which is mind you, Bitcoin is decentralized, right? So that's a good thing. It's being built on top of a, a network which can't be controlled by a single entity. And it makes it extremely uh, easy and cheap and fast to send Bitcoin. So, you know, like I mentioned, I could literally go to a Starbucks in El Salvador, Starbucks, <laughs> and, uh, you know, send a Bitcoin transaction for a couple bucks for a coffee and it would arrive immediately to the cash register and it would be, it would have final settlement. Um, so that's a, that's essentially the lightning network. And, you know, again, thinking about it in terms of, of the internet and layers being t built on top of the internet. Um, imagine, you know, you saying I built a, I built a better internet. Um, you know, it's, it, it, whatever, name your reasons for it being better. And you're going to have to switch onto a different network. Cheaper, faster. Right. That's going to be a very difficult thing with the internet because so many people started using TCP IP, right? And it got that network effect. And to get everybody who's using TCP IP onto a different network is, is too difficult at that point. And that's why literally right now, right, you and I are speaking with each other over TCP IP. Mm. Isn't that why they created HTTPS because of the security aspect? I'm I'm not a computer expert. I I don't know that. I yeah. Well, it, <laughs> I it, couldn't it, tell you. Yeah. So HTTP is not secure, but HTTPS is secure. So that's why you can put credit card details on the internet, whereas before you couldn't. That's why lots of people thought that, in very similar way to cryptocurrencies in the early days of the internet that it was just used by you know fraudsters and for dodgy dealing and all that sort of stuff and for scamming and then later on it became more established and secure and and the internet we know today so it was interesting that the that kind of development curve is very similar to what's been going on with with cryptocurrencies but i yeah. i'm i'm fascinated by the the um lightning network in the sense that with bitcoin you've got security and with light the lightning network you've got the speed but surely if you've got speed on the lightning network you haven't got the security there must there must be a downside to having that speed otherwise you would have just built bitcoin like that yeah 
Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, the so I don't want to get too much into the technical simply because it's it's just a better thing to you know for people to see it themselves. But yes, um, the Lightning Network is not as decentralized as Bitcoin is, right? It's still being still being built out, still much smaller. But the key thing is that it's built on top of a network, which is and no other, you know, no other cryptocurrency is doing anything like this. Uh, they're still built on on centralized platforms. Um, so yeah, I mean, the way I see it, it's it's just a matter of time. Historically speaking, Lightning Network has gotten much more centralized over time. And you know, we don't know how many people in the world own Bitcoin, but I would venture to say it's less than ten percent. So we're still extremely early. Um, and in that regard, as far as Bitcoin with other cryptos, I don't know. You know, I, if we could maybe touch on that a little bit more, because I think that's kind of an important thing to consider as well. You know, sure. some other reasons. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, just going on this idea of network effect, <clears throat> you guys are uh, fans of the, you know, the Austrian school of thought, like the libertarianism, uh, Austrian economics, anarcho-capitalism, all that stuff. Well, I, um, I, I and, definitely am. I think Paul, Paul is... Paul is probably on the side of uh, the big state and uh, fiat, fiat currency. <laughs> I would certainly hope not. <laughs> I don't know how it would work out with you guys. And yeah, no, but, um, oh, oh yeah. So I was going to say in, in the book, uh, the theory of money and credit written by Ludwig von Mises, right. One of the most esteemed Austrian economists, he writes, uh, maybe I can just pull up the quote here because I wrote an article uh, about this. So here's what he wrote. He said, thus, there would inevitably be a tendency for the less marketable of the series of goods to use as a media of exchange to be one by one rejected until at last only a single commodity remained, which was universally employed as a medium of exchange. In other words, money. So basically what he's saying is, you know, eventually there's going to be one form of money which will outcompete the rest. And and it only makes sense because, you know, to think of all these different cryptocurrencies, again, there are like 16,000 different cryptocurrencies today. You know, human beings aren't going to want to transact with, with a bunch of different forms of money. We're going to want to transact with one single form of money which everybody agrees has value, which is the whole point of exchanging it, right? Because money is just a transfer of value between between people. Um, and Bitcoin, for sure, you know, if if you look at all the corporations, they're only buying bit, you know, they're only buying Bitcoin. You have MicroStrategy; they have billions of dollars in Bitcoin. You have Mass Mutual, which is a 170-year-old insurance company in the United States. They have hundreds of millions of dollars worth in Bitcoin. Uh, El Salvador, you know, adopted Bitcoin as a legal standard, uh, as legal tender. Um, the list could go on and on and on. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're, the, the main adoption, especially institutionally speaking, from all these billionaires, all these corporations, all these politicians, as well, they're talking about Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> so when you combine the fact of network effect, it's the only one that's truly decentralized. Uh, it's the most secure, right? The most historically proven. 
that's Bitcoin. Um, so everything else other than that is, is you know, you're taking a chance. You're, I, th- I think it's more of a gamble. But with Bitcoin, it's more of a certainty. Mm, I mean, that, that, that's an interesting point. I'd have to, I'd have to, I think what, what we would do one day on this podcast is get a, a variety of experts on this subject to, to argue it. Because we've had Jennifer Curie on, who was saying that she believed Ripple would be the technology. And we've also had, um, you know, Manu Chowdhury on, who was saying that the privacy element, if you're if you're truly interested in privacy, Bitcoin is not really the currency or the the, the cryptocurrency to consider because it's what, entirely public. The yeah. history is entirely public, isn't it? Yeah, it is uh, public in the way that the internet is. So. Uh, you, you first of all, you have to have a publicly visible blockchain, right? And when they say public, they don't mean like when you use Bitcoin. Uh, Tim Price is is going to be, you know, the the name Tim Price is going to be associated with a transaction. It's not the case. Um, your public address will be associated with a transaction, but that doesn't mean that Tim Price has to be associated with that public address. Does that make sense? Knew, yeah, but if you knew that that address was Tim Price's, then you could basically look at what he's doing. Right. You, you, in a sense, could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, you, you could see who he was paying or receiving or how much his wallet held and all, <clears throat> all that sort of stuff. Yes. You, you could, if you did not, you know, it's just like the internet, right? If you, some people, they don't use VPNs. And if they don't use a VPN, then their location is, is going to be there and they're not going to be able to be as, as, you know, free and private on the Internet. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. I mean, people people think that just because, you know, they expect something that was created 13 years ago to just be perfect right now <laughs> and to just have no volatility, uh, just it's it's like that that's not going to happen but the solution is not going to ripple which is worth like less than a dollar you know which is centralized which like i does that kind of make sense i know i hear what you're saying uh, it's good to hear all different arguments but you know by the same token if you are saying that bitcoin is going to be the one that stays then excusing it for its its age and then saying that all future technology that looks at Bitcoin and says, right, we can improve, improve on this. Like so the Solana network, which was, um, okay, it wasn't quite as fast as people originally thought, but they are trying to make it faster. So these new coins, there is a big advantage and there's a big prize if you get this right, because it's a bit like in the early days of the internet, you had things like, you know, Netscape and AltaVista that were doing, right. that were search engines and they were the Ask big... Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Ask Jeeves. And, 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 um, you know, and look, look how that's changed. So it's, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's an interesting point that you're making here to say that it's, it starts and stops with Bitcoin and the criticisms for it, um, are workarounds. Uh, so there are workarounds, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to work out whether, you know, the, the whole idea about where the nodes are, like I can download a node on Bitcoin. I didn't know that I couldn't download on a, the- a node on Ethereum without spending a lot of money. Um, that's something no. I'd have to look into. I assume yeah. that I'd be able to do a very similar thing with one of the other networks because they would 
I would assume that they'd want to make it as freely available as possible. But, um, but well, here's, here's the thing is, you know, you and I could create our own, we could create a Tim Price coin. Yeah. You know, or Paul Rodriguez coin. Yeah. And we, and it could literally like Rod, be. I quite like Rod coin. <laughs> yeah. And, and listen, <laughs> we should make it private. Phallic, phallic vitality to it. Yeah. 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 No, the, there we go. Yeah. Rod coin. And it's, it's going to be private and yeah. it's going to be super cheap to use. And it, it's, it's going to have all of these technological benefits. Right. But how are we going to get everybody on, on that coin? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's so the issue. Get Paris Hilton to promote it for us. Uh, yeah, yes, but- and that's the issue with XRP. That's the issue with everything else other than Bitcoin is, yes, you can create a coin that theoretically has better technological advancements, but you're not going to be able to get the network effect. And and again, this same criticism was applied toward Bitcoin in 2017 with the Lightning Network. People were saying, okay, well, Bitcoin is not going to be feasible uh, for being a form of money because it's too slow, yeah. it's too expensive, and – you know, again, I if, if we were in 2017, I would be saying the same thing I'm saying right now about privacy. I would be saying that we are still early. There are a lot of people working on it. Um, and time, you know, time goes by. The Lightning Network is here. We have an entire country using it. Well, I, I, I uh, like the I like the idea of getting Paris Hilton on my Rod coin, but um, the well, on uh, your Rod coin or exactly. But the um, but the 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 idea. I mean, the way I describe Bitcoin is that it's a bit like the Mona Lisa. It's not the best piece of art in the world, but it's the best known, and that accounts for a lot. But I, I'm also a fan of technology, so I'm interested in. You know, some of the some of the altcoins, the people out there who are really smart, who are creating things that w- may change the world in a few years' time that you've just not heard of yet, to kind of disregard all of those technologies, um, I think would be, you know, perhaps a mistake. And I I I, I get that you you know you you have. Bitcoin well, it's a bit. It's a bit like the patent office saying whenever they said at the turn of the, cent- the yeah. last century that everything that can be invented has been invented, so we can all pack up and go home now. Yeah, I think. What do you? So here's my question: Is what do you need from these altcoins that they offer that Bitcoin does not offer? Well, it depends. You see, I think there's there's. It depends what it's doing. So for endorsement example, by William Shatner is what I'm looking for. I want Shatcoin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there so, are a lot of Shatcoins. So. so so, for example, I know some are used in gaming. So they they're linked in the same way that anybody who's played Fortnite gets V bucks. So, okay. um, so, so there there is there is the NFTs that are created, and um, there the whole, whole little ecosystems that just relate to their own technology, and it's their way of funding these projects that could then say, for example, change the way that goods attract across certain companies and 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 you know and on and on and so Th- th- thinking got- of, thinking about it it, it does sorry to cut in Paul is it seems like the libertarian uh, argument would would surely be let a thousand flowers bloom not just let one uh, cryptocurrency predominate and that's right. also what happened at the start of the um the American Republic you had tons of currencies circulating admittedly lots of them were nearly all of them were probably crap but I mean the one, the one that actually is a survivor is still crap. The U.S. dollar is is going to deteriorate to zero at some point in time. Yeah, but that that that's kind of yeah, exactly. That's basically how I see it. 
Um, yeah. I, I don't disagree with Bitcoin at all. I think you've, it's great. It's there and, you know, you can invest in it. And there's people who think it's going to go to zero for whatever reason. But it is the, the first and the oldest technology. And so it can definitely be improved upon. So I agree. And here, so, okay. So here's my follow-up question. If you could get those things, you mentioned a couple of things like gaming and NF- NFTs. If you could get those things built on top of Bitcoin, right? If you could have all these technological solutions that they're, all these projects are proposing on Bitcoin, then that would be, that would be ideal, right? What, what we, you'd have to speak to the, the designers of the technology and say, well, why aren't you doing it that way? Because I'm sure if they could and they thought it was a good way to do it, they would do it. There must be a good reason why they're going to Ethereum. So what, there, there what about, are. What about, what about spot contracts? For yeah, yeah. Let me let me just chime in here. So <laughs> gaming is already being done on Bitcoin. Uh, the Lightning Network is being used in gaming right now. Um, NFTs are built. I mean, the, I believe the first NFT was built on top of Bitcoin. So you can do NFTs on Bitcoin as well. You can also do smart contracts on Bitcoin as well. All these things are able to be done on. Bitcoin. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, that's great. So, so the question is, why did the developers choose not to do it uh, on Bitcoin? Well, you, you, I mean, I'm not sorry to, to cut in, Andrew. The, the, you can't necessarily assume that developers know the best thing that's going to be the outcome for the, for any given product. So, I was talking about this with a, a friend during the week in in terms of how we survive the. We can get onto the sort of global situation, hopefully in a little while, in you know, the global geopolitical and economic and financial situation. But yeah. you, you you build a product, whether it's software or whatever, but you don't have godlike vision as to how it's going to be used. So a lot of the time, you'll the, the example we discussed during this little symposium we had during the week was uh, civilization. So I don't know if you have you are you familiar with civilization, Andrew? It's a game. Uh, is it- Civ. No. Sid Meier's Civ. So it's something I've got a bit obsessed with over the last few years because I, I have no life. And basically, Civilization, I think, is, is up to its now sixth or seventh iteration. But it's, it started out probably 15, 20 years ago, maybe longer. And it's now up to a very a very sophisticated level in terms of graphics and everything else. But essentially, it's a, it's a sort of like a god-type game where you, you start out, you, you have a settler on a, a little virtual world, uh, basically like, like the world, you can't see very much, and then you found a city, and then every every time you you play, and you play against either a computer or against some friends, so you, you're playing against other people. Um, you're given choices, and the choices are basically what do you do with your resources. So once you have a city, do you do you build a, an army, or do you build um, science institutions, libraries? Do you build you know markets? Every it basically it, it's it's a fantastic way of I think, uh, teaching, I suspect, teaching children about how the world came to be what it is without making the the educational aspect predominant. So it's, just, it's part of the gameplay. And there are various ways of winning, and you can win by military conquest, or you can win by a space race, or you can win by this, that, and the other. But essentially, it's all about, it, it, it's all about just sort of learning, competing, and it, it's a learning exercise. I'm now realizing I've completely lost the thrust of my argument because I can't remember for the life of me how I started talking about this, but there must have been a reason. Uh, But it it was in relation to basically setting up an alternative. It was ultimately in the context of setting up an alternative, a parallel economy 
um, if people get frozen out of the real one because of inflation, because of vaccinated status or whatever, and everything goes to a, some kind of metaverse. I think that what, was where what, this what, thing came from. Well, you were saying that people don't know, the developers don't know. Whether oh, yes. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. So that's, yeah. that's, that's got me, got my train back on, back on the track. Thank you. So that, that's the point that the developers of the game can do whatever they like. But the reality is once you release a game of any type into the world, then the fans, if, the, if you have the facility to, to, to basically uh, mold it and shape it and create new apps or whatever, the fans will create new versions of the game that might well be far better than the original. So the developers can do one thing, but then once it's out in the wild, nature finds a way of improving it. Yeah, I, I guess, and it's also highly unpredictable as 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 well. It's but, a bit like chaos theory. Yeah, sure. but but the the arguments for using, I mean, if if one was to create a new coin now, so Andrew, if you wanted to create your own coin, let's put Bitcoin to one side just for a moment, and you had a, a potential use case that you think the world hadn't fulfilled at the moment and you were drawing up your white paper think is i mean i I can understand there are some people who who just become sort of train track view okay new technology it's got to be on ethereum etc etc but these guys are smart they they must know if you can use an a technology to do something they will try it yeah. So few things. One, I mean, there there are a ton of developers working on Bitcoin. So you know, that's one thing that has to be acknowledged. It's it's not like all the developers okay. are, you know, there are a lot. Uh, oh, hang on here, my computer. I gotta plug it in. Give me one moment. Sure. Was the battery about to go? Yeah, I was about to go. All right, we're good. <laughs> Well okay. Yeah. So there are a lot of Bloody lot Elon of, Musk. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. No, there are a lot of developers on Bitcoin. So that's right. that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, the other thing is, I mean, listen, if if the idea is to say that something else could beat Bitcoin because it's more technologically, you know, it, it's technologically superior or, or it has some sort of feature that Bitcoin doesn't have. Why are they not beating Bitcoin right now? Because you could go with Monero, right? You could buy yeah. Monero, Monero's privacy coin. You could go with, uh, you know, Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash or anything like that. All of these, I mean, again, all of these projects claim to have something that Bitcoin does not have. Yeah. So therefore, under their own logic, they're technologically, you know, advanced. But why have that, they not, you know, been able to to beat Bitcoin? It's because well, of the network effect. Sorry to sound like a broken record, but it's just no, it's, no, it's no. It's, no, listen, factor. this is interesting. This is absolutely interesting. And keep, you know, you, yeah. you got to say what you think. Absolutely. And I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just thinking, thinking it through. And why can't they just coexist? Uh, well, they can't. It depends what they're offering, right? I mean, if something is not competing against Bitcoin, if if they're not, if they're saying that okay, we're we're not uh, trying to be a store of value, we're not trying to be an actual money, I don't really have an issue with it. I mean, I still have issues with all these projects because I mean, I've I've been in the space for five years now. I've seen tons and tons of projects come out and fail and have fancy marketing teams and promise the world to people. But the reality is, is the majority of these things are completely centralized. I mean, you gotta think about it. Think about, okay, if you create a cryptocurrency, (laughs) 
you're going to have a large portion of the, you're going to have a good amount of, of the supply because if it goes up in value, then you want to pump your own bags. And that's unfortunately what has happened a lot uh, with all these other cryptocurrencies is the creators, you know, they start it, they have a large amount, it goes up to like two bucks and then they dump it on people who, who initially bought it because the people who had it originally have made a lot of money. It's no different than what happens with Goldman Sachs and Wall Street. It's just laddering. Um, so there's that. And the the most important thing to keep in mind here, guys, is, okay, what is our goal, <laughs> right? Like, why why do these things exist in the first place? I will, the to, goal to, is, oh, is because, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll just, I'll cap it on this, right? The world right now is, according to the IIF, the Institute of International Finance, the world is in about $290 trillion in global debt. The United States is is $30 trillion in debt. Uh, and that's not including unfunded liabilities. Everybody on earth is walking around with money in their pocket that is fraudulent and that is guaranteed to lose its value because of inflation. And this stuff wrecks people overnight. I mean, I, I, I know, and I'm sure you guys too, you know, people who have experienced inflation before, bad inflation before in their lives. To me, well, well, we live I don't in the, see- We live in the UK. What was that? We live in the UK. Okay. Yeah. We, so we, I mean, we had the, the you know the the late seventies, well the the whole seventies uh, stagflation, which seems like we're going through a sort of rather yeah dismal sort of uh, repeat of now. Exactly. So what's what's more important, right? Like the metaverse, NFTs, you know, j- basically just JPEGs of of drawings or a form of money that governments literally cannot destroy that or has take, a hard taking out everybody at the million. world economic forum and uh, having them tried for crimes against humanity yeah i mean that's the most ideal thing but you get my point right inflation sure. is like this that what is a bigger issue than this losing all of your wealth that you've worked for for decades and decades just because a politician wants to sign a piece of paper and increase the money supply like I don't see I don't see what's more important than that, and I also don't see any other coin that is a legitimate store of value compared to Bitcoin. There's a superb so, there's a superb quote. I don't have it to hand, but it's a superb quote from Mises, Ludwig von Mises on inflation to the to the it, the, the the sort of brutalized that I can remember version is basically pe- people don't understand this stuff and they think it's you know come like an act, it, inflation is not an act of God. It's not. It doesn't come out of a clear blue sky. Inflation is a policy. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's a consistent missteps, isn't it? I mean, it's it's like it's taking the easy road when you have a electorate to to vote you in, and you want to give them what they want, and you want to spend the money that you want, and you can see how it just gets kicked down the road because if you're in power and you you're there for a few years, and you can just let somebody else deal with the problem. But I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying in that regard, that the direction of money is, is basically being debased globally pretty much. And the South American countries have, have um, had... They've their, been here before. They've been yeah, here before a long time. Exactly, which is interesting as to what, why they're embracing Bitcoin um, you know, more than other places, of course. And it may be that we have to do that. But there, I... I I don't think that they, they it necessarily has to be mutually exclusive. 
either. So I, I don't see why we have to decide between, say, gold and silver or a bit of both or just gold or have some platinum as well or buy, say, property or land and some Bitcoin and, and you know, the altcoins that are being created. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying about there's a lot of pump and dumps and you have that with, um, you know, normal companies that are, are you know, floated on the stock exchange all the time. Um, but there are also some, you know, very savvy, respectable developers that are creating new technologies that... Um, we may be using in the future so it it, it just depends um and, and for me i think I, I i don't i don't sort of think people need to stay awake at night worrying about whether they should invest in a uh altcoin or whether they should invest in bitcoin or something else it's it uh, for me it's a combination and you can only you can't guarantee anything with these altcoins. They are far greater risk. I mean, the, the for example, you talked about the metaverse. I mean, the metaverse could be a ma absolutely massive thing. And yes, it could be on Bitcoin, but it could also be on the sandbox or, or, or Decentraland. And big corporations are spending money there. And so it's um, to say we've got to ignore it because it's not Bitcoin doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So in your world, um, Everything else but Bitcoin goes to zero because everybody just wants to use Bitcoin. But I, I just, I don't. I, that, but why, that, why would you want that built on a centralized platform? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, until you said it's on a centralized platform, I didn't know that it was on a centralized platform. But I also assume that it was decentralized enough for nobody else to be able to, no single entity to be able to control it, which is the whole point of it. Um, That's the problem is, is these altcoins lie to people. <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but it's, they, no, no, they tell people it's, they, they say it's decentralized, but it's actually not at all. Right. Um, a but good article uh, is written by Lynn Alden called the problem with Ethereum. And it talks about this uh, in detail, how, I mean, they can, <laughs> there, there's a small group. I mean, the Ethereum foundation literally has a board member who's part of the world economic forum. So, this is not something that's actually decentralized or will actually help human freedom. Right. Okay. So, you know, that, that's something I'd have to do a bit more research into. It's the first time I've heard that and it surprises me and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just, I just have to look into it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there'll be a lot of developers out there who, you know they're creating what they're creating some are doing it for spurious reasons but some are doing it for very genuine reasons and i don't think they're out there trying to you know purposely defraud people you know and and you know misdirect them into doing something that they think is 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 not stable and and you know gonna last a long time so you know i i i think it's an interesting argument to say that's that's the one thing that you know basically makes every other coin um, uh, not fit for purpose. Yeah, I mean, if you, so I guess a question I could ask too is what is, is there anything else that is legitimately competing against Bitcoin? Even Ethereum is not competing against Bitcoin because they're, they're not even, I mean, they're not saying that Ethereum is going to be a form of money that we're using or even saving it. Yeah, but, for me, it's it's like well, that that may be the case, but Bitcoin on its own, to sort of turn the argument back the other way, isn't necessarily well. As far as I understood it, 
is is not necessarily good enough technology to fulfill the needs of the world to have one single currency, as it were. It can't do that without the Lightning Network, which is not cent- is not decentralized. So that's not solving the problem either. The Lightning Network is decentralized. It's not as uh, decentralized as Bitcoin, which is insane. Which is so decentralized to the point where it's just insane. Um, far beyond anything else. I mean, I like I mentioned, there's anywhere from sixteen thousand to a hundred thousand different nodes on Earth. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, the the issue here is inflation. Uh, Ethereum does not have a supply cap. There's no other coin that's that really has this sort of value offering that Bitcoin has. Um, and I, I just I don't see a more important problem than inflation. And I also don't see anything that's more universally um, misunderstood. Yeah, misunderstood. But I was also going to say, you know, think about how big this issue is. There are are what, 8.2 billion people on Earth and there are only 21 million Bitcoin. So if we just think of a world where everybody at least has some Bitcoin in order to not get completely ruined by inflation, right? That's a lot of people using a very scarce form of money. If you do the math, if you take the current Bitcoin supply and take the amount of people on earth, that equates to only about 0.002 Bitcoin, which is worth about 100 euro right now. But, but you, could, you could make the same argument in relation to physical gold. So the, the misnomer about gold is that people say, well, there's not enough of it to supply, to, to act as money for the world. But what they're missing yeah. is the price can change. So... Uh, the, and I suspect the current price is being hugely manipulated, but you know it is what it is. We have to accept the price as, as as given to us on an exchange. And the reality is that you know you could you could you could monetize the world with an ounce of gold at the right price. In other words, it's not it's not an issue of supply. The issue is the price, and the price just needs to be out of flex. Uh, to change topic a, a little, not not very much, but it's just to ask both of you if you'd heard this story. Um, this that we first found it via, I saw it on Twitter via a friend, but it's 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 been been on, on numerous sources. It was first published on the Telegraph this morning. Um, all Bitcoin cash points in Britain have been ordered to shut down after the city watchdog declared them illegal. The Financial Conduct Authority has written to providers of cryptocurrency ATMs telling them to cease operations or face enforcement action. I mean, there's only 81 of them, so it's not a necessarily a huge deal, but it. The, the way I interpreted this is that they're trying to lock the exits now. Yeah, so... They, I, so I, I, they, I think this smacks of panic rather than orderly response to challenger currency, myself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin, let's look at China, right? Like almost a year ago, the entire country of China banned Bitcoin mining. It's a really big deal, right? I mean, Bitcoin, you know, governments are not going to be really happy with this in some ways. A lot of politicians are financially benefiting from Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin mining. But um so yeah, my, my view on that is uh, Bitcoin will go wherever it's welcomed and it will financially report uh, reward the jurisdictions which welcome it. So again, taking China, what happened after China banned Bitcoin? Okay, you had a about 50% decrease 
and Bitcoin's hash rate once that happened, because you had this huge exodus of miners leaving China. Okay, so where did they go? They went to jurisdictions which are not going to do that to them again. And a lot of them went into the United States. So now what you have is a jurisdiction which is being financially, in some way, financially rewarded for allowing freedom to take place, mm. okay, for allowing Bitcoin to just be there. One very specific example of this is Texas. So Texas has, uh, you know, you guys probably know, very large oil and gas industry. And what what they do is they have, because they have an excess amount of gas, they just can't use all the gas that they have. They have an excess amount and they have to flare it. So basically flaring is is when you, you know, maybe you've seen it, but it's basically where there's, uh, you know, oil mining and you set it on fire pretty much mm-hmm. on top of it and you just flare it, which is very bad. And what Bitcoin mining does is it's able to take the excess energy that would have otherwise been wasted by these oil and gas um, companies, and it's diverting that into mining for Bitcoin. So now you have an entire industry in a very big state, which is getting financially subsidized from Bitcoin. And what's the result of that? The result is you have a ton of Chinese miners going to the United States, rewarding freedom, basically, setting up businesses there. And you have local politicians who vouch for Bitcoin. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is is openly, publicly speaking about how great Bitcoin is, about how governments can't shut it down, about how you know Bitcoin mining is, is a good thing. Um, and there are tons of politicians all over the United States. I mean, there's another one, Cynthia Loomis. She's a senator out of Wyoming. She's pro-Bitcoin, Bitcoin only. Um, uh, guys in Tennessee, there are politicians all over the United States who are vouching for Bitcoin. And what you're going to see here is Bitcoin is going to become a political... Football. Yes, you're, they will have to take a stance on Bitcoin within Ted, the next is, five is years. Is Ted Cruz a potential presidential candidate? Do you think? I have no idea. I think they're all puppets. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe. So you, t- you, t- you you mentioned energy, so we kind of I feel obligated to talk about what's happening in in Ukraine at the moment. What, what, what's your take on the the geopolitical sort of backdrop to to crypto? Yeah. Um, are you talking about how it relates with Bitcoin or just the entire situation? I mean, the, the, you know, this is, you know, does it expand out to sort of a, a state of the world uh, discussion? Yeah. What, what do you think? What, what do you think is happening in, in, in between Russia and Ukraine at the moment? Because I, I think the, the, the problem, <laughs> the problem I have, and I suspect I speak for lots of our listeners, is you can't trust anybody. You know, yeah. the one thing that's been most dis- disgusting about the last two years is entities that you previously had some vague respect for now you know i wouldn't piss on them if their teeth were on fire <laughs> yeah you, and that's you clearly the mainstream media yeah 100 percent. you can't trust them at all and uh i mean clearly the narrative that they're portraying right now is just blindly support the ukraine right I and mean, the fact that it's so universal leads some of us to think, hmm, there's something going on here. This this looks really dodgy. This looks really fishy. Yeah, it does. Every other – the way I look at it is – I mean, I, I used to – I've carried a gun you know, on behalf of the U.S. government for about three years of my life. And 
you know, like I've had a change of perspective on this, but every war they jettison is, is it's like, have, a team. have you used it in anger? No, I've, I got very lucky to not be deployed, which I'm happy about. <laughs> so, so, so sorry, what were you saying there, Andrew? Yeah, I was basically saying, you know, the way I view it now is every single war that these people orchestrate, it's like a chess game, in my opinion. Like, I, I don't think, what's that quote by the Rothschild? Uh, I care not who makes a nation's laws, give me control like the money supply. And the I money can... supply, yeah. Well, this, yeah. This is an interesting point, because this is what I was going to come back to um, with regard to people investing in gold and Bitcoin and anything that's outside of the monetary system. You always have to come back into the monetary system to pay your taxes and you have to pay capital gains tax on any gains that you've made, which erodes the value of that investment in the first place, unless you're obviously going to move the money offshore or do something else with it. So they are, <clears throat> in some ways, um, always making the road lead back to their monetary system. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's a good system. I'm just saying they've kind of thought of that. And it's, it seems like um, the road does lead back because you have to pay your tax in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they certainly don't. <laughs> if, if nobody's using the money that you're printing anymore, then the money you're printing has no value. So it, it's, it's in their incentive to get people to use it for sure. Sure. I but, agree. But if you're, if, yeah. you're, if you're making 200%, 1,000% or whatever it is on your Bitcoin – um, and then you have to sort of convert it. Once you convert it, the recent laws in America, I believe, that you were marked to market in, in your your gains. And I think that may have been one of the factors that pushed the price down as well as other things. But, you know, you, you, had, to, you had to literally pay tax on unrealized gains. Um, and so that goes back into dollars. So it's, um, it's their way of... of um, that's why I think they don't see it as a threat. I'm I'm just interested in what you what you think about that. Hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So first of all, for any other investment, you're gonna have to pay capital gains as well, yeah. uh, which obviously sucks because <laughs> right. nobody wants to pay capital gains. But that's something to be considered, right? Everything else you have to pay capital gains for as well. Apart from um, in the UK, your family home. Uh, that's that's actually a really good thing. I didn't know that in the UK. You don't pay capital gains. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. As, as long as it's your primary residence, unless you're a member of parliament, in which case you can just fuck everybody like you normally do. <laughs> yeah, rules for thee, not for me. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so what else, right? The the capital gains thing. Um, there are other jurisdictions who don't do that. So, you know, El Salvador, let's talk about that again. Like, what I think you're going to see with Bitcoin is, okay, let, let's take any other form of wealth. Um, let, let's say you have real estate investments. You can't take those with you. Let's say you have gold. Uh, that's very difficult to transport on your own as well which is why a lot of people keep it in, in vault custodians, which, you know, requires in, in, trust. In, in other jurisdictions. Yes, in other jurisdictions. But still, it's not really – technically, it's yours, but you don't have it yourself. Um, so, you know, and then fiat currency, you can have, you know, millions of, of dollars in the bank, 
but uh, the bank is holding it. It's not actually yours. It's it's yeah. it's in your name, but the bank is holding it, and history has shown us that the bank can take that away. So my point is, is Bitcoin, you actually own it. There's nothing anybody can do to, I mean, unless they point a gun at your head and but even that, I, I mean, it's 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 basically 24 words that you memorize in your head or write down on a piece of paper somewhere. And unless somebody has those 24 words, they can't take your wealth. And so what we're seeing is what we're going to see is jurisdictions like El Salvador are going to invite people to vote with their feet. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is different than anything else in human history, because, you know, let's say you're a refugee uh, governments have less of an incentive to invite refugees to their countries because they they can't take their money with them. They're more of a financial burden. With Bitcoin, you know, let's say you're living in a, a tyrannical regime, you can take all of your wealth with you and there's going to be another government somewhere on earth like El Salvador that wants to attract people like you. And you, could wants be a, to gain- you could be an anonymous billionaire. Yes. You literally could be an anonymous billionaire. Yeah. So it's a very interesting dynamic that that we're going to see as a result of this ability to transport our wealth more easily. And in, in El Salvador, I mean, it was very clear that they were treating the Bitcoin people like high-class citizens. You know, it was very, very clear that, that they are – you know, since they're a smaller government, they can make more changes. They're trying to make this thing as appealing for people as possible. So, um, yeah, that's my take. But so, I mean, so, again, I, I don't think I'll, I'll end it on this. Sorry if I'm kind of going on a rant here, but no, fine. the idea that the government is just going to ban Bitcoin like that, that is absolutely something that must be asked. <laughs> it's a legitimate concern. It's its obvious, right? Like governments get all their power through fiat currencies. Why would they let this thing su- succeed? But we think of, you know, the government has many different, it's very multifaceted, sure. you know? I mean, again, you're going to have people like Ted Cruz, local politicians who are benefiting from Bitcoin who will not let it be banned. So. So what do you, um, <clears throat> what do you think will, will happen in the future? How do you think the, 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 well, actually another question, perhaps before that one is, do you have any opinions? You're hogging all the questions, Paul. Sorry. You question hog. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Satoshi Nakamoto, do you have any opinion as to who he might be? Because some people say he's an individual. Some people say he's a group of individuals. Some people say he was a government. This is a government. The CIA. CIA or something like that. Would you have any view on that? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, oh, this is a fun one. It's a mystery. I mean, it. it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really have no idea. I'll, I mean, I'll give you a get out of jail free card here, Andrew. You just <laughs> say, I'm very glad you asked me that question. And then we move on. <laughs> okay. And, and um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily expect you to know the answer because it's a very difficult question, but I just wondered. And the, the second thing is, um, Nassim Taleb, who originally was very much pro Bitcoin because of its decentralized nature and his um, sort of let the market decide attitude to risk and virtually every sort of other type of investment. And he's obviously a smart guy. He He's turned 180 degrees on it and feels yeah. that it, its value is zero. 
for reasons that I don't necessarily agree with or really can quite understand why he's saying it. But what do you think about his his 180 degree turn? Obviously, you're going to disagree with it. But do you have any better arguments other than he's just wrong? Uh, I would have to see his. I mean, I, I know he had a complete 180. Um, I also know that he's afraid of a virus with a 99.8 whatever percent <laughs> survival rate. So that's would, a, that suggests WEF shill, but I, 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 I defer to you. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 perhaps that could be. It could be that he's looking at everything from a risk perspective and then saying yeah. that, you know, like I, from what I understand, I could be wrong, by the way, but I, I seem to picked up on something where he was wearing two masks on a on a flight and he might argue what a wanker yeah listen i I don't really care about somebody's opinion on something if they're going to wear two masks on a plane yeah okay (laughs) that's okay yeah but let's just say he was he was doing that because he's saying that you know he's he's managing risk in in his own because he has no understanding of science well well okay or the mathematics of coronavirus particles but but his view about bitcoin was um that because you have to, uh, because like money can exist. So once money is in your hands, it can just exist. Whereas with Bitcoin, it takes constant work to make the network work. And therefore it eventually will go to zero because you're constantly having to spin the flywheel to keep the whole thing going. Whereas normal money, you don't have to do that. Now, I, I think that's a bit of a strange argument because you could say that about the internet because you need to power the internet and without that power without the networks um you know that wear out and needs to be replaced you wouldn't have the internet but we have it and you could say the same about roads you could say the same about anything so, so it's only about this in nicholas taleb and the entropic heat death of the universe yeah so <laughs> so i thought it was a strange argument um but i do like up until the pandemic i highly respected his view and then I, I it, sort, this sort of is a sh- this is a shocking thing the number of people who've been revealed to be complete cunts yeah no i know i i, I saw this tweet it said uh you know the the stam demic didn't didn't change people it just revealed them i thought it was well, this so is true. this apocalypse this is the whole thing about apocalypse which is i, I i'm not trying to steal anyone's thunder and, and you know grotesquely trample over Andrew's um, guest <laughs> status on this. But, but, but Apocalypse is, is this was a, rev- a revelation to me. That's a double, it's a double entendre. Apocalypse is unveiling. The original Greek, I think, meaning of Apocalypse is it's not the end of the world, which I used to think it was. It's well, unveiling. It's unmasking. We are yeah. finding out in 2022 who's who and what's what, and it's very, very ugly. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, man, a few different di- directions we should, should go from here. Um, I mean, as far as the Taleb thing, I mean, listen, the ultimate question you have to ask yourself at the end of the day is, is it more, you know, we're talking about weighing risks, right? Uh, cost-benefit analysis. Is it more risky to own Bitcoin or is it more risky to not own Bitcoin? Yeah, I, right? I, like I, if, I agree. If you have, yeah, if you have one percent of your portfolio in Bitcoin, okay, if it goes to zero, which I, I think is a preposterous thing at this point to think, in my opinion, right? Of course, I'm, I, you know, I worked in this all the time, and but, but if it goes to zero, whatever. Given that the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar and every other currency has fallen by ninety nine percent in the last century, dot dot dot. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And the reason it, it's gone down that much is because it doesn't have a tap supply like Bitcoin has. So um, there are going to be people, there are going to be haters, there are going to people be people who who think they understand it but don't and make claims against it. There, you know, there are going to be haters toward Bitcoin. But at the end of the day, the the big money is in Bitcoin, and I think there are just way too many people and large corporations involved for it not to succeed in some way. I mean, literally, I, I saw an article yesterday by Steve Wozniak, who's the co-founder of Apple, who literally said Bitcoin is is mathematical purity. And he was saying the same thing I'm saying about all these altcoins. He's saying, you know, a new altcoin is created, you know, all the time. They have some celebrity batching it. Um, there are just there are just too many high level people who vouch for this thing, who own it themselves, for it to be a you know a serious risk, in my humble opinion. What what do yeah. you mean by mathematical purity? The finiteness of it, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, without going in details describing how cryptography works or anything complicated like that, because that's something. I mean, I. I'm reading a, a you know 400 page book on cryptography right now and it, right. It, it's not <laughs> it's like complicated stuff right but the idea is just to have a form of money which is in some ways math based right so like 2 plus 2 equals 4 everybody knows that that's an objective fact of you say reality. that I think most politicians would take issue with that summary Oh I forgot yeah we're supposed to say 2 plus 2 equals 5 now that's right I'm sorry I hope I don't I don't get you guys censored. You racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, you, you get you get kind of what I'm saying here. It's a yeah. system which is, is, and plus the fact that Bitcoin is, uh, it's called the open source code, which basically means that anybody can review the code, anybody Tink, can- Tinker with it. Yes, exactly. It's literally the most, Bitcoin is the most analyzed code in all of mankind as that. You know, as a result of that, so yeah, the 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 problem that it solved was an intractable problem, and an elegant it's done it in an elegant way that has never been cracked, and you know, the whole blockchain and the security behind it is is beautiful as it, it is smart. But I, I I get that, I get that. I just wondered if there was something else that I'd missed about it, because I wondered. Of course, now prior to when. You know, you came on the show. I would have said you could say that about Ethereum or so, or some of the other coins. But obviously, you're saying that the the big difference is the networks. They're not decentralized, properly decentralized. So it's the only true coin out there, and it's the only one that will effectively survive or should survive. Uh yes, absolutely, absolutely. And the other the other thing to to keep in mind is you know you brought up Satoshi earlier. I think it's a huge feature uh, and not a bug that that we don't know who Satoshi is. And you know, you look at Ethereum. Everybody knows who created it. Ethereum has you know spokespeople for it. We we know who created it. We have Vitalik Buterin. Um, you know, Bitcoin. You you have this entire grassroots, bottom up monetary revolution, basically. And it's more of an ideal than, you know, an actual centralized sort of movement, you the could be, say. The, be the beauty of Christianity is the ineffability of God. 
Uh, yeah, that's an interesting quote, actually. The beauty of Christianity is the inevitability of God. The in- in- ineffability, but that, that's a Tim Priceism. So you can you can take that to the banks. It's worthless. <laughs> yeah, what? but but yeah. I thought I thought it was incredible that he had so many Bitcoin. Obviously, he had some himself. He's a hodler, isn't he? He's the ultimate hodler because he's never sold any. Yeah, exactly. as far as I know. But that I mean, that's kind of virtually. Impossible, isn't it, for an individual to have done that, to not have taken some profit? I mean, I don't know. I, I we, that's that's the thing. It, it's 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 something nobody knows. But Satoshi moves but, but in here's mysterious the thing. ways. Do we, do we know who created, like, who invented the refrigerator? I don't know. <laughs> I have no well, idea how Alf, the thing Alfred works. Alfred refrigerator. Use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a slight difference there. That's like if you own shares in a refrigerator company that you'd started and it went from you know fractions of a cent to be worth 28 trillion dollars yeah i think Uh you'd be tempted to to take some of that (laughs) off the table and you know stick it in some gold or fiat or something else well that's that's the point of bitcoin is the idea is that you're not going to be selling it for something else because okay let's let's think about this like why why does somebody buy bitcoin in the first place they're buying it because they want to you know largely opt out in you know into a, a new monetary system which is more superior than than fiat currency and if you're selling bitcoin you're selling it for the very thing that you bought it for which is Fiat currency. So the idea is that we're we're you know going to be using this thing uh, eventually. Mm. Yeah. So it's the ultimate faith in it, which is that's a very interesting point. I I'd not yeah. thought of it that way. Um, and that's that's another huge difference between Bitcoin and altcoins. Is you'll see everybody who's who's investing in altcoins, they want to make uh, a lot of money. Generally speaking, I'm kind of generalizing here, but I maybe you would agree. They want to make a good amount of money in a small amount of time and they want to sell it. That is a huge theme with altcoins is, you know, you hope to get in early, you hope to sell it at the right price. It's entirely different from Bitcoin because Bitcoin is, you know, you want to buy it and then hang on to it for as long as possible. Do you think there'll ever be a time when you sell Bitcoin? I do. I do. So, I also want to live in a, you know, in the real world too. And I'm, I'm not just saying like, uh, you should just hang on to Bitcoin until it's, it's the official world reserve currency or anything like that. Like, I, I think that this, this thing is the most superior savings technology that we have today. It's just the best savings vehicle we have. And, you know, like I, I want to buy a home, uh, I want to buy some property and I'm, I'm I'm all in Bitcoin, so I'm going to have to part with some Bitcoin for some property. But I look at that differently than just selling it for dollars, you know, because in a way I'm like indirectly buying the property with Bitcoin. If, you know, if I sell the Bitcoin for fiat and then buy the property with fiat, that's not selling the Bitcoin just to have fiat gains. You yeah, know, that's selling yeah. it because I used it as a way to fight inflation and preserve my savings. And then as a result, I'm going to improve the quality of my life. Yeah. you know, from that, that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, but that's, that's like a personal level. That's not like you valued it at a million dollars a coin. And if it ever got there, that's where you would get out. 
No. Oh, no. So, I mean, that's the thing is there's uh, something funny is, you know, the Simpsons, they have all their all their predictions. There's this one episode in the Simpsons where it on, you know, there was a TV and uh, on that TV, they show Bitcoin and they show the price to be a million or excuse me, infinity. <laughs> and that's that's actually realistic, because think about it. If if you have never before in human history, not even with gold, have you had a form of money which is verifiably limited with a hard cap supply? Bitcoin supply is 21 million. There can never be any more created after that. Even gold. We don't know how much gold exists. We don't know how much gold will exist. Um, and if you take something like fiat currency, which has an unlimited supply, like the supply of fiat is infinity, the supply of Bitcoin is 21 million. So as a result, the price, you know, when it's measured in fiat currency, the price of Bitcoin will, it, you know, it, it, it is infinity. And that's the whole point. That's the beautiful way that Bitcoin is designed. It's literally designed to pump forever. There's, there's never going to be a time where somebody is too late to Bitcoin because it's always going to be the most superior form of money because it's the most scarce. And it's always going to be the exit plan for people from fiat currency, if that makes sense. If the broader economy was, say, in the US or the Western world, was in a deflationary spiral, would Bitcoin still be a valid medium to protect yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. That's I think that's a lot of the Keynesian FUD against Bitcoin is, okay, well, what if we have some some sort of, you know, because we've been taught that inflation is a good thing in school, <laughs> which is like, uh, you know, totally yeah, we, backwards, we, we, we've as been you guys also, agree. We've also been taught that school is a good thing, which is also debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um no, I mean, I, I I can't predict the future or anything, but I, I can say, like, from a very base level, anytime, you know, the government has literally have an, uh, had a monopoly on money. Like, if, if, we, if we think about any other product that a bunch of human beings really need, and if that product was monopolized, like, let's just say cars. If there was a monopoly on cars, there was only one place you could buy cars – uh, it would be the worst car ever. They, you know, you'd have poor customer service with the company. It wouldn't last for a long time. It would be really expensive. Well, that's Virgin that, Media accounted for. What was that? That's a private, private, private joke for those of us that are suffering, have suffered under the Virgin Media blight for the last few years. It's uh, probably, it's probably libelous. So um, let's move on. Okay. All right. Well, you you get my point, right? Like if if there was some monopoly on cars, and then that monopoly was broken up i mean that would change that would vastly change a lot of how earth works yeah and and money is something that's far more important than cars and that has been monopolized for a millennia uh and bitcoin is finally changing that so you're going to have you know keynesian economists who are going to say you know, throw a bunch of FUD, say it's bad for the environment, say, you know, it's not going to work as a form of money for the entire world, say all these things, but it's just growing pains. That's the way I see it. Yeah, but that I, argument but... does imply that you have multiple Bitcoins as well, because Bitcoin, like any other currency, shouldn't be a monopoly currency. There should be a choice. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti your argument, by the way. I'm just saying, yeah. I just, I'm just being an agent provocateur here. No, it's, it's a good point. I mean, the difference, I guess, is 
the difference maybe, is, maybe it, money isn't a product. Maybe that's the difference. That money isn't it shouldn't be a product in the way that you know consumer goods consumable goods are. I couldn't have said it better myself. I totally agree. Money is supposed to be a commodity. You know, a commodity that everybody values. It's it's not like a product. So um yeah, yeah so I agree. And that's I mean again with network effects, that's just that's a that's a a that's an objective fact in human life, right? Like that network effects uh do take place um when it comes to like social networks too, for example. Um we could create a new Facebook, but uh to get Facebook's network uh onto our platform would be extremely difficult. So yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I mentioned deflation is because it's obviously not something that we've experienced in the West. There's been hyperinflation and um, inflation, stagflation, disinflation, but not deflation. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in Japan, they've had deflation recently. So it's not such a strange market phenomenon that you can just discount it and say, well, it's never going to happen because one of the kind of, effects of a inflationary boom which we could be potentially heading into or are, we are in now if it gets out of control the next step for that is a deflationary bust and i'm just interested in in whether it, it holds up to that because like like any any new technology it's got to deal with all different market environments and um and it needs to be tested under all market environments like you know, say the euro, it's not been around that long. It's not, it was built under benign economic conditions. And now we're seeing more and more fracturing of the, the European nations and it's, will it hold together? And, and, you know, there's still a question mark. 20 years is a blink of an eye in, when it comes to, to you know, a currency um, and the footnotes of history. So it's, it'd be interesting to see if it can survive a deflationary spiral. Yeah, I, I think... A big thing that, uh, you know, we're not taught in school is just the fact that all of these boom and bust cycles are essentially a result of the central banking system in the first place, too. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Like, yeah, that that's just such a big factor. The idea that you have this small group of people, you know, in this central bank who claim that they can somehow find this magic number for what interest rates should be for millions of people and find this magic number of what the exact money supply should be for millions of people. It's a totally preposterous system, the way it's set up. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't take a genius to see that, that it's doomed to fail from the start. So some people have said that if we were to go back to the gold standard, it would be a deflationary environment because you wouldn't be able to allow the economy to grow fast enough the demand for credit would not be met um i mean that's something tim i'm sure you've got an opinion on as well sounds to me like that would be a zero inflationary environment which it which it was during the golden age of i think most of the the 19th century in victorian britain where the, the purchasing power of a an ounce of gold or whatever the currency was, um, you know, it had it had as much purchasing power at the end of that period as it did at the beginning of the period. Prices didn't go up. There was a stable economy and there was no rampant credit creation. I think the thing is that my sense is that everyone suffers from 
recency bias and you know they they know what they know they know what they've experienced and because no one's experienced a period of sound money we don't believe it can exist but it has in the past so it's our expectation that prices should just rise you know you should one should earn money more money and you should be paid more and and you know things just go up and that's just the way it is is but if you, basically... if you look at it if, if you look at it from the perspective of technology then technology gets better all the time so you know, uh, it, the, the fact, I mean, uh, I have mixed feelings about, say, smartphone technology because that's been the vehicle whereby we've all been immiserated and enslaved by the new world order. But notwithstanding that, I am struck by the fact that, I mean, I'm literally sitting here in my, my study at home and I have a, uh, because I'm a sort of an old-fashioned guy, I have a, a power tower, so I have a, like a fixed PC with a screen and blah, blah, blah. But I also have a smartphone, which is probably a 50th the size, that is actually more efficient than the PC. So I've got this tiny little tablet, tiny little black tablet that can do basically anything. It can do literally anything. Yeah. And although Apple puts the price of every year, it re the reality is that according to Moore's law, what this stuff can do, it ought to be cheaper every year or it gets twice as good or whatever every 18 months. So there's an innate zeroflation or deflation to, to, to the world, certainly in terms of technology. Mm. But the reality is that, as we all know, we're trapped in this, and I'm sure, and well, I'll let Andrew opine, but we're trapped in this fiat system of corrupt central banks, corrupt crony capitalist enterprises, corrupt politicians, and the only way that this that system can can continue is by by inflationism. But inflationism is not the natural order of things. The natural order of things is benign deflationism. Mm. And, and and do yeah. you, do you think Bitcoin could be the answer to it? Sorry, sorry, Andrew, you probably wanted to make a point on that. Well, I, first of all, I think it's yeah, it's a really good point. Um, same thing in the United States. You had, uh, was it the, the golden, I, f I forget, uh, the golden age. Anyways, this period in the United States in the 1800s for about 100 years, uh, you know. Growing one, economy, but no inflation. Yeah, growing it, just in vastly growing economy. <laughs> I mean, you for, for about 100 years in the United States, 20 US dollars was re redeemable for one ounce of gold. You could just take 20 bucks, walk in the bank, get an ounce of gold back. And, and that remained unchanged for a long time. And you had uh, just an incredible amount of innovation during that time. And people, yeah, I agree. Like people don't realize that your money is actually supposed to be worth more every year. <laughs> like prices, you know, under a good money system, prices should be decreasing as time goes by. I mean, I totally agree because human beings are, are under we're the right We're creative. We, we improve things. Our, you know, the whole yes. point of being human is to improve stuff. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And this fiat system has gotten us to, you know, to do the exact opposite. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to innovate on things if you can't plan for your future. And it's very difficult to plan for your future if the money you're using and saving in is losing its value. You know, that makes things very uncertain. 
Um, it also makes it forces people to have to focus more on day-to-day activities, live in the rat race. I mean, I, I you're, you guys are over in the UK. I mean, you've seen the quality of life, you know, you're older than I am. The quality of life decreased so much over the last however many years because the money is losing so much of, of its value, you know? So happily, our portfolios are gaining at such an incremental value above and beyond that, that we're okay. We're keeping our heads above water. And that's a very good thing. And that's what everybody needs to be doing. But unfortunately, not everybody can do that. And this system. I, I'm being like, facetious, of course. Well, or, I mean. Or, or am I? I Paul, listen, Paul, I, that's, that's what you got to do is invest because you're forced to invest. It's not like you can that, stay that, in that, fiat that get, currency. That gets exactly to the heart of the problem, which is which is why I despise the central banks for the fiber of my being, which is because they've destroyed the, the whole purpose of holding cash because they've destroyed any inherent value in the debt markets, people have no choice but to basically stake their claim in the stock markets. And as we all know, the stock markets are inherently volatile. And most people are being given bad advice as to what stocks to own anyway. So this is a disaster waiting to happen. And I, I find it difficult not to blame the central banks for all of this because these are the people who they only had one job. What there's a, there's a meme, there's a phrase. What is it? You had one job. They had one job, which is stable inflation. They can't even do that. Yeah, they can. I mean, it's. I mean, again, it, it's just nobody can. <laughs> like nobody can manage. What a ridiculous idea to think that this small group of people can somehow like micromanage economies of millions of people. But we had we had this in the in the UK. I think it was as far back as is it as far back as eighteen ten. But anyway, there was a there was a bullion report by the Bank of England, and they basically said. To be honest, you know, it doesn't matter how many resources you had and how many intelligent people you had, no amount of intellectual research and capital could possibly fathom how much circulating medium you need to require to balance the needs of the economy. What they were yeah. basically saying, well, this is something that was like, if not 100, then 200 years ago, they, 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 they got the answer, which is you cannot macromanage the economy. You cannot micromanage the economy. The, the answer is just to just, just, just state, just get out of the way. Yeah, it just get out of the way. It's literally a form of communism, central banking. It's, it's I believe, Karl Marx's fifth, yeah, fifth tentative communism in the Communist Manifesto to have a central bank. It's a totally preposterous idea. Yeah. And how do you see, do you see it ending and how do you see it ending? You know, so Bitcoiners, you know, we all want to be using Bitcoin as a form of money uh, in the future. And now we already are in in some areas. Uh, But the downside of that is that any time there is a monetary transition, it's very painful. And um, so how is it going to happen? I mean, I I think ultimately, here's the thing. Right now, Bitcoin's really early. We have, you know, there's a lot of FUD about it because it's such a new thing. There's, It's a very controversial thing. But I think we're going to get to a point where people in some ways have to buy it. I really do believe that because there's, you know, we're already there right now where we can't hang on to, we can't just save in fiat currency. 
right? And eventually, I think the the strongest form of money is going to win, and that's Bitcoin. Um, so some yeah. would say potentially that's that's gold because it's been around for a long time. Yes. So that's that's a whole other. That's a very interesting concept this idea of bitcoin versus gold because bitcoin is often called you know gold 2.0 digital gold digital gold yeah here's the thing if i i would we would all prefer a gold standard over a fiat standard for sure i mean i would of course um but the problem with gold is that gold requires trust in centralized parties uh 1933 United States government, FDR. Executive Order 6102. 100%. Yeah, you guys you guys know, you know, I mean, the government just <clears throat> overnight signed a piece of paper and said, you have to give us your gold. <laughs> so, you know, they, so that happened. And, you know, the other issue with gold is, again, going back to this, this fiat thing, it's difficult to use, right, and hold with you, which is why you drop it off at a bank and the bank gives you paper money because it's more convenient. Um, it's also, I mean, how are you going to have a global economy with gold, right? That's another factor because unless you're sending actual gold to people across borders, you don't truly own it. You are, you are trusting a party to, to say that you own gold. But to, to that point, just on to that point, one thing that we were talking about during the week at this little sort of symposium of um, the, the the book that was cited as as part of this evening was a book called Alongside Night. I don't know if you do you know it, Andrew. I'm not familiar. So no. you'll you'll know Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Um, I read that. Yes. Alongside Night is basically. I'm getting my media pick early here, uh, Paul. So sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. No, good stuff. Um, good basically, you. Alongside Night is 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 largely. Well, it is it is largely uh, a slightly modern reworking of of Atlas Shrugged. Uh, it was published in 1979 by a guy called J- uh, sorry Jane Neil Shulman. I'll just give you the very a very brief synopsis. So I'll let, I'll let Andrew I'll let Andrew back into the back into the room. The story begins with the United States collapsing economically, bankers inflating the money supply, the government agents struggling to keep their power. Trading in foreign currency is illegal. Businesses are subject to rationing. As a result, there is a growing black market for everything. It's it's um, it's more interesting for the ideas and for the you know, for the the, the, the like the, the the meat of the thing itself. It's not necessarily a great book, but it's a great book of ideas, and it's a it's a complete economic dystopia. And J. Neil Shulman was was tr- perhaps a little too it would definitely too early but but only a little too early because if he'd written it a little bit later he could have said well it's set in 2020 and it would have been bang on yeah, yeah. So, yeah go ahead oh no no you, you go sorry oh you got it you got it well all i was going to say was um <clears throat> i mean that, that that's that's great uh it's really interesting but the the technology that we could introduce would just be backing our currency with gold. And then, then we could do everything that we're doing, but then know that we could go to a bank and, and convert it back. Wouldn't that be a solution to the problem? Because everybody around the world, I don't know anyone who would say, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I don't want that gold bar, you know, um, you know, please keep it. Everybody has a natural inclination to want gold. 
But the thing is, we we know that, that that's not the objective. The objective is to get rid of gold altogether and to, to enforce central bank digital currency on all of us, which is basically game over for free humanity. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was all I was saying was there there is a way to solve the problem, potentially without Bitcoin, potentially with what we have now, that would be to the satisfaction of the masses. Um but the if, masses, that's our point, that the, the interests of the government and the interests of the masses are not the same interests. Yeah, but and, and this, is, this is, again, the interesting thing about Bitcoin. It's going to be keeping the governments honest, but it's... Holding it's, their feet to the fire. Um, and with Bitcoin in the early years, in 2010, I read about it. I thought, this is, this is amazing, but, you know, the hmm. governments are just going to do exactly what you've said with executive order. They're going to say, if you deal in Bitcoin, you know, you're going to prison and... What can you do then? Yeah, yeah. Well, then you just opt out of conventional society. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but it's um, <clears throat> it was it was for that reason that I stupidly rejected it. Well, you get to le- get to learn to love prison food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, technically I, I, they I could would... still do that, though, couldn't they, Andrew? They could say, "Look, whatever you've got." I mean, you're in Mexico, so um, sure. and I see from your Twitter, which I think is quite quite interesting you put um mexico brackets super dangerous <laughs> yeah on a side note uh mexico is, that the, is that the name is that the name of the town you're in super dangerous super dangerous yeah yeah muy, muy peligroso yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh yeah it, it, what you see on the news is not <laughs> it's not what mexico is actually like there are so are you many saying we can't trust safe. the mainstream media yeah, I know. Believe it or not, they might not be telling the truth. I know it's a you know shocking thing to hear, but uh, so you heard I, it here. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. So, Andrew, was there anything that we haven't touched upon in terms of Bitcoin or anything else that you'd like to talk about? Here's the thing. Uh, I think a, a good point to leave on on the Bitcoin thing is. Just in case, you know, even if you hate Bitcoin, even if you think it's going to fail for whatever reason, um, you may just want to have some just in case you're wrong, <laughs> you know, because um, the the adoption is undeniable. The value that it can potentially bring to everybody on Earth is undeniable. And, you know, Hayek, uh, you know, Austrian economist uh, Hayek, said, you know, basically predicted Bitcoin in a way and said that we're not ever going to have a good form of money again until we take the, the thing out of the hands of government. And that's what Bitcoin is. So um, that's the biggest thing I would say is okay. just, yeah. 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 Great. And so, Tim, I think you've, have you given us your, I don't know, Andrew, whether you've, you're familiar with the media picks process, but right at the end of the show, we just like to share a Media, what we call a media pick, which could be a book, a film, or anything that you've either really loved or really hated, and would like to, or to, even felt quite lukewarm about. Well, no, 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 that's actually not. <laughs> it can't be that. It's definitely not that. It's got to be. Don't think we've ever had it that, but there's no reason why we can't set a precedent. Well, you, you could do that, but it, it's got to be something that you think is worth sharing, or you know, or warning people against. And um, Tim's usually got a couple up his sleeve, which is which is good. If you haven't, I, we could perhaps go to Tim's and then come back to you while you think about it. But it could be; it doesn't have to be financially related. Although 
very often they are. Anything it, interesting, anything interesting yeah. that's, that's grabbed your attention for, for better yeah. or for worse? Yeah. Can it be a website? It can be, it can be a website. It can be anything at all. Podcast, website, book. Okay. Uh, while, you mull, right. while you mull on that, because as, as, yeah. as Paul has cunningly, cunningly suggested, I have several on my sleeve, and I'm just going to leave one, because I've already, I've already shot my bolt with the first one, which was whatever that was earlier. Uh, and this is... This is this is this is a surprisingly, I think, relevant one, which is a quote that uh, Andrew may have heard. I suspect he has heard it. It's by Major General Smedley Butler on interventionism, and I'm just going to read a, a small part of it. This is a guy who worked for the the U.S. Army. Um, it may seem odd from blah blah blah. How do we get the relevant stuff? In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I suspected I was just part of a racket at the time. Now I am sure of it. Like all the members of the military profession, I never had a thought of my own until I left the service. My mental faculties remained in suspended animation while I obeyed the orders of higher-ups. This is typical with everyone in the military service. I helped make Mexico, especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. Don't worry, I've nearly finished. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefits of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. I helped purify Nicaragua, the international banking house of Brown Brothers in 1909 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916. In China, I helped to see to it that Standard Oil went its way unmolested. During those years, I had, as the boys in the back room would say, a swell racket. Looking back on it, I feel that I could have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. Mic drop. Yeah, that is a very powerful quote. That's so funny you brought up that quote by Smedley Butler because his book, uh, War is a Racket, I read that when I was in the military, and that also, I mean, I'm not in the military today. I would have expected it to be banned. Book. I would have expected it to be banned in the military, personally. Oh, actually, no, not it's not banned. The craziest thing is when you're in Marine Corps boot camp, they teach you about General Smedley Butler. They teach you I mean, about that, how— I find that actually know. wonderfully uh, uplifting somehow. Well, they don't tell you that he was an anti-war advocate. They just, yeah. uh, you know, conveniently leave that part out. <laughs> so, yeah. But because we're living in this sort of dystopian Orwellian world, I, that gives me some tiny candle light of hope. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It's funny. They, they, they. Truth is hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Right? Like only a certain amount of people are gonna going to want to actually take their heads out of the sand and, and see what reality is. Well, I, I, heard a, I heard a great line the other day, which is, you can hammer on a deaf man's door forever. So, yeah. so Andrew, what's, um, do you have a, a, a media pick for us? Yeah, I, I have a real random one. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, this has been just totally not like uh, Bitcoin related. Sure. It's called... Yeah, okay, so it's called Real, R-E-A-L, Real, realmilk.com. <laughs> and I've been going down this rabbit hole of, uh, of raw milk because, in, you know, my country where I'm from, United States, has uh, federally banned raw milk. And, uh, you know, certain states, it's, it's the laws are more lenient. But, I mean, they've literally sent in 
like SWAT team, uh, you know, guys with like 20, 20 government officials with guns to go raid family farms because they're selling raw milk. What? And uh, yeah, it's, it's totally crazy. So, you know, once I found out about that, I was like, man, why did, why don't, it has to be good for you yeah, <laughs> if, right. if they don't want us having it. And anyways, this website just talks about like how healthy raw milk is and why pasteurized milk is really bad for you. And you have like lactose intolerant people who can drink raw milk because it's real milk. So anyways, that's my, that's my, my website, realmilk.com. Brilliant. And um, you you didn't tell us much about Bitcoin Reserve at the top of the show, only to mention it. So tell us a bit about that and, and where people can get in contact with you. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we help uh, anybody in Europe buy and sell Bitcoin. So websites just bitcoinreserve.com. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's us. Uh, uh, we also have a podcast and we talk about you know, all the stuff we talked about today in more detail. Uh, the podcast is just called The Bitcoin Reserve Show. Um, and you probably have, can, have better jokes as well. <laughs> no, we've got some dad jokes too. We, we've, oh, okay. we've got... Well, that, that, yeah. that, 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 that gives me some hope for the future. Those are important, yeah. <laughs> and then on, on Twitter too, that's probably where I'm most active. So if, if you're on Twitter, uh, Andrew underscore J underscore Howard is my handle. And... For, pe- for people to understand why they might want to go to the Bitcoin or BitcoinReserve.com to buy Bitcoin as opposed to some other place, what are the advantages of, of going via you? Yeah, so uh, very, very easy experience. We found that, you know, one of the biggest problems people have when they buy Bitcoin is how complicated the process is. Um, just cause it's such a new thing. So we've made the experience as easy as possible for people to just buy Bitcoin. Um, the other thing is, you know, our, our customer service is pretty darn good. I don't know if you've ever had to contact customer service with a big crypto company, like an exchange or something I have, and it can oftentimes be a nightmare. You're, you're in some QE and you have to wait a long time. So, you know, we we really emphasize like responding quickly, treating people not as a number, but as somebody who who we're helping get in this this Bitcoin thing that we care about so much. So that's also a factor as well. Um, yeah, I would say those are are some of the main things. And again, you know, plus the fact that we we care about Bitcoin. We're not gonna, you know, we we could make more money <laughs> if we just listed all these other altcoins, but uh, we we focus on bitcoin uh for that reason so so do you do you hold the bitcoin for the customer or do they get their own private keys and they get to hold them directly i'm very happy you asked i i I should have mentioned that actually we uh basically we we enforce uh self-custody we we do not hold uh, so if you buy Bitcoin with us, we don't hold it for you. We send it directly to your wallet and, you know, you're going to see the importance of this as time goes on. The Canadian government has, you know, as you guys know, been shutting off people's bank accounts. Uh, the Canadian government has taken people's Bitcoin because they were holding it on exchanges, right? So, so that's unless you actually, it. That's yes. how they did it. I didn't know how they'd done it. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense that they would take bitcoin that way we we talked about it on the dave column show so when dave column was on the show so that's it's interesting you say that 
Yeah, absolutely. It's this serious issue. People, you know, they they buy Bitcoin and they leave their coins on an exchange. And all the government has to do is just knock on the door of the exchange and say, hand it over, and they have to comply. So, you know, we we make sure everybody who uses our platform actually takes their own, you know, sovereign sovereignty into their own hands and, and has their own Bitcoin. So, yeah. so Bitcoin 101 is not your keys, not your Bitcoin. That's it, basically. Yep. If, not if your keys, not your coins. Yeah, exactly. Um, so brilliant. Okay. Well, that, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure we're going to get a ton of questions. We're going to have to have you back if you would love to come back on. That would be great because I do think we should, um, have a group of, of, uh, people who are, um, as well versed in the subject as you are. And, you know, it's really great to hear all these different ideas. It's certainly, you know, making me think about, the altcoins and I'm going to have to do a lot more research, but you know, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, we hope to have you on in the future. Yeah, I, I would be delighted. It was a lot of fun. I think um, I really appreciate the questions you're asking because they're, you know, they're very important ones. And, and uh, so, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks so much guys. Great stuff. Thanks. Thanks, thanks very much, Andrew. I appreciate it. All right. Cheers. All Take best. Care. Take care. Bye. And thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.